I believe it was Job that said, he ain't ever done me nothing but good. I, I don't care which way you want to look at it. I don't, care what you, I don't care what you're going through. You still can look at God and say, he ain't never done me nothing but good. Even the terrible things he's brought in my life, he meant them for my good. I believe it was Joseph who said whenever his brothers had sold him into slavery, sold him into slavery, and y'all remember all that he had been through, but even still Joseph looked up, and after his father has died, his, his brothers thought he was going to kill him. He looked at his brothers and he said, Listen, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. <laughs> God will always take everything that you think is the worst thing in your life and he will use it for your good in some way or another. Always remember that. Turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. You remember last week we said, He who endures to the end shall be saved. He who makes it to the finish line. He who hangs on and he perseveres and he chases after God all the way to the end, he shall be saved. But the opposite of that is also true. He who does not endure to the end shall not be saved. You can, you can rest assured on that. You can come let me show you some more scripture after this is over with if you want. But you can rest assured if there's a truth in the word, then the opposite is also true. He who endures to the end shall be saved, but he who quits halfway shall not be saved. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge, and this judge did not fear God, and he did not regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, and here's a key point, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Nick, lead us in a word of prayer, please.
Jesus made a statement at the end of this parable that I couldn't help but dwell on for several days now. The statement he made was, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is Jesus himself, our Savior, the Lord of all creation. And he asked a question talking to his disciples. And he says, when I come back, will I really find faith on the earth? Will it be there? To understand what Jesus was talking about when he asked this question, you have to go back to chapter 17 to understand that this is a concluding statement to a lesson that he has been teaching for several minutes now. Look back at Luke 17 starting in verse 20. And I want to kind of lead up to where he's at and what led him into this particular subject that he's at right now. Luke 17 verse 20 begins and it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So here's where the topic of conversation comes in. The Pharisees. These are Jews teachers of the law. These guys have been waiting on a conquering Messiah to come in. The Roman tyranny has came into their promised land, to their home, to God's country, and it has taken over. And now they're waiting on a reigning, conquering Messiah to come into this picture, and they're waiting on him to, to conquer Rome and to establish Jerusalem as the homeland of God's people. They're waiting on Him to bring the kingdom of God up, but they're thinking Jerusalem is what they're thinking. So they asked Jesus a question. Again in verse 20. Now when He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, and this is how Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Do you see that? The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is, and this is translated within you, I believe this is a bad translation. I believe that Jesus would not have told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God was within them. I believe what, if we correctly translated this, I believe that it should say the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it was already there. Jesus was the kingdom of God. His disciples and those who followed Him were the kingdom of God. You as the church and His followers, you are the kingdom of God. So basically, here's what He tells the Pharisees. He says, listen, the kingdom of God you're waiting for is already here. It's here and it did not come with observation. Lightning didn't flash from the sky. It did not come with great sounding trumpets. It came in a manger. It came in the lowliest of forms. They didn't say, look, there he is and see, he's over there. That didn't happen. His first coming came and it was in the midst of them even as they asked the question, when is the kingdom of God coming? But then look what happens in verse 22. Then he said to the disciples, so the, so the message changes. He goes from answering the Pharisees' question to now he's going to make a statement to his disciples, his followers. Are you with me? All right, he says, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, 
and you will not see it. He turns to his disciples and he says, Listen, you've already heard that the kingdom of God is here and you know it. Now I want you to know that the days are going to come since the Messiah has came. The days are coming when you will desire to see the day of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. The day is going to come when it is going to get so tough it is going to be a, such a trial in your life that you will just desire for the Savior, for the Lord to come on and let's get this over with. But you will not see it. He says that it's going to be a rough run. It's not going to be an easy road. It's going to get so bad that everything in you is just going to desire for Jesus for just one of the days of the Son of Man. But you will not see it. It's going to get tough. But he's telling them, don't you stop. Look at verse 23. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Now notice the controversy that he does. He makes a shift from the first coming of Christ the first coming of Christ, he said, it did not come with observation. They did not say, look here or look there. But now he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man the second time. And he says to them, they will say to you the second time, they are going to say, look here or look there. Everybody's going to be saying, he's over there. Look, in the desert, there's Christ over there. But he says to them, do not go after them or follow them. And here's why. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Notice what he said. The first kingdom did not come with observation. Oh, but don't you be a bit surprised when people start saying, look, he's over there, look over there, but don't you believe him? Because when I come back the second time, there ain't going to be no question in your mind. Now, I've wondered about this for some time until I read this scripture, whether we would actually know if Christ come back or not. There's no doubt in my mind now that when Christ comes back the second time, make no mistake into believing that you will not know that he has not come back. He said, you do not listen to anyone that says, there's Christ over there. Don't listen to anybody that says, look, here, here he is right here. No, you don't go after them. Make no mistake, when the Son of Man comes back the second time, oh, it's like the lightning that flashes from one side of the sky to the other. You cannot miss it. It will come with observation. And they won't have to tell you, look here or look there. There will be no question in your mind. So Jesus tells the Pharisees, the first coming, you've missed it because it didn't come with observation. They didn't say, look, there he is. But then he turns to the disciples and he says, but don't you be mistaken, you won't miss my second coming. The days are coming that's going to be so tough that you're going to desire for that day, but you will not see it yet. So he's telling them about the trial that they're going to suffer in waiting for him to come back. And if any of you have been a Christian for very long, I'm sure you've noticed that there are a few trials that we face here in this walk as a Christian. Then in verses 26 through 30, he begins to give a description of the days leading up to the second coming. He talks about the first coming, second coming. Now he gives a description of the days. He compares these days to the days of Noah. Look what he says in verse 26. 
And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Then he compares it to the days of Lot. Notice what he says next. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Notice what he said the days are going to look like. He said, here's what the days are going to look like. Fly, I will I will call fire and brimstone down from heaven on your head. Ricky Carpenter, where are you at? I need, I need, I need you to get this thing. <clears throat> Notice what he said about these days of the Lord. He said, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, it's going to be ordinary life. They built, they plant, they ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage. It's not going to be anything great. But listen, what notice what I love about this scripture is this. He did not talk about the reason that judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. He never even mentioned the homosexuality. He never even mentioned all the great sins that we know about from the Old Testament. Jesus mentioned that they were just in ordinary life. But the problem with their ordinary life is that even the ordinary things that are not necessarily sinful were godless. They didn't have God in them. He was not the forefront of what they were living for. Everything they were living for was just for their ordinary lives. They built, they planted, they ate, they drank. They didn't eat to nourish their bodies. They ate because they loved to eat. How many of that does that describe of us today? I didn't get no hands raised on that one because that's every one of us. We don't drink because we don't drink because we we want to, to to nourish our bodies. We drink because we want to get drunk. I mean, come on, get with me here this morning. That's why we do it. We don't build because we need a roof over our head. We build because we want a massive house. Let's come on, get with me. Am I am I talk am I talking about myself this morning? We don't, we don't plant because we need a little food in our house. We want to plant because we can show you how big a garden we can grow. Oh, we had a big one, didn't we? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, we don't even want to go there. That thing's still at back, ain't been planted in two years. Three-acre big garden, we thinking we're going to take care of it. I don't know what we was thinking. You tell, well, you think we was raised in the city, wouldn't you? He, he said, everyday ordinary life is what the days look like leading up to the judgment day. When the judgment fell in Noah's day, it was just ordinary life. But the problem with that ordinary life is it was godless. The, the days that, that, that Lot was delivered out of when, when judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, it was just everyday life, Kirby. They married, they were given in marriage, they ate, they drank, they built, they planted. But then he goes on. And in verse 30 he says, Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Going to be the same way. Ain't going to be no different. But then look where he goes on from verse 31 through 36. He tells his disciples, remember he turned to his disciples and he's telling his disciples this. So he's speaking to us. And here's what he says. In that day, in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, 
He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. Don't you be thinking about the stuff that you're having to leave behind. What did Paul say last week? He said, one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind me. I forget the stuff I had to leave behind so that I could pursue Christ because I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. So he says, in that day, he's who, he who is on the housetop, if the goods are in the house, when he comes, don't come down and try to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Look at verse 32. What does that say? Remember Lot's wife. He tells his disciples, remember Lot's wife. What happened to Lot's wife? Huh? She looked back. Did she turn into a telephone pole? May as well have. She looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. He's going to tell them here in a minute, you need to remember what happens when God delivers you out of judgment and then you look back because you love what you're having to leave behind. God has saved you from the wrath and the judgment that He has to come on this world, and yet we still look back at all the stuff we have to leave behind and go, Oh, I love that car. I love that motorcycle. Oh, man, I love, I just, I love that, um, I love that checkbook right there. I've wrote some bad ones in my time, but I love it. Oh, it's got me some stuff, Nick. He says here, remember Lot's wife, and then look at verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women that will be grinding together. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And look at verse 37. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? Where will they be left? We know what you mean when you say that one will be taken, but where will they be left? And look what Jesus says. So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together, or the vultures will be gathered together. When the Son of Man comes... Either you will be gathered unto glory or you will be left for destruction. When destruction and judgment came in Noah's day, either you were in the ark or what happened? Or the bodies were gathered and the vultures sit on top. In the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, either you were fleeing to the city of Zor with, with Lot and his family or you were in the fire and brimstone where the bodies laid and the vultures gathered. He said, listen... If you love your life and you keep looking back to this stuff, if you keep hanging on to this stuff, you will not make it to the finish line. Somebody said, here he goes again. He's preaching the same message. Well, I just want to make sure that everybody I'm looking in at my eyes out here in this congregation, I want to cross the finish line with you. Do you understand that? I want to get across this finish line, guys. I'm going to tell you what, and I ain't getting into no prophecy. I ain't going there. But I really do believe we're in the last days. I really do. I believe with all my heart that you are seeing the end of times take place 
right now. And I'm going to be preaching hard to make sure that you're ready to cross the finish line with me. I believe that judgment is about to fall. I really do. See, I'm not up here blowing wind because um, it feels good to holler a little bit. I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful day out there, Nick. Boy, I could be wading the creek today. Oh, man. I could be catching some large mouth that's just big as my, I'm talking about long as my arm. I'd be measuring them to see how big it was. Oh, I could be doing so much today. But I'm not up here for that. I'm up here because I really believe what I'm preaching. I'm up here because I really do believe that Jesus is coming back. You know, the Bible told us in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah that when Lot went to try to talk to his brother-in-laws to get his family out of there, the Bible actually says that they thought he was joking. They would not follow him out of Sodom because they thought, look for it yourself. It's in Genesis somewhere. You had to find it yourself. But they actually said that his brother-in-laws thought he was joking. I'm not joking this morning. We're at the end of our days. Judgment is coming, and it's coming on the house of the Lord first. And I truly believe that unless we begin to lose our life and forget the things of this world, I promise you, I believe many of us, he was talking to his disciples here, his followers. You realize that, right? He told them, remember Lot's wife. Remember, don't you look back on the things of this world. You recognize that this is rubbish is what Paul said. Paul said, I count these things as rubbish. It's worthless so that I may gain Christ who is treasured forever. So, to get back to our parable, and I'm almost done this morning. He started out talking about his first coming. He moves to his disciples and he tells them, it's going to be tough while you're waiting on my second coming, but don't you quit. Don't you turn and follow nothing else while you're waiting because I promise you, you will know when I come. No matter how tough it gets, you do not stop. And then he goes on and he tells them about what the days are going to be like when he comes back. He said it's going to be normal, ordinary life. And then he says, remember though, remember while you're living this ordinary life, while you're building, while you're planning, make sure it's full of God. Don't you be doing these things for your own personal glory, for your own desires, for your own wants, because if you keep looking back, remember Lot's wife. Remember what happened when judgment fell and she was more concerned about her love for the world than she was these other things. And I can imagine that as Jesus was talking to his disciples, it probably shook them up a little bit. If Jesus was standing before you this morning preaching this message and he just told you what I said, would it shake you up just a little bit? I can imagine that his disciples probably sitting there going, okay, how can we endure to the end? How can we make sure that we're not like Lot's wife? How can we make sure that we're not building and planning and doing all these things and looking back on the world? How can we make sure that we keep our eyes fixed on the goal, that we keep going after the prize? How can we be sure that we will be the ones that the vultures are not gathered around, but how can we be sure that we will be the ones that will be taken and not left behind? I bet there were all kind of questions going through their heads. And then this brings me to where Jesus takes his next statement. And I believe he answers those questions next in Luke 18, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to what? Pray 
And if you pray, what does that keep you from doing? Boy, I bet if I were to take a toll in here this morning, and myself included, I bet our prayer lives are shabby at best. I'm ashamed to even tell you how good my prayer life is. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. When God shakes me up and shows me these things, boy, I hit my knees quick. I prayed more in the last, and I prayed more in the last day than I've prayed in the last two weeks. He said he told them a parable. If you want to endure to the end, if you want to keep your eye focused on the goal, if you do not want to end up like, Lot, like Lot's wife, then you've got to pray. And you've got to pray. And you've got to pray. And then when you're tired of praying, you've got to keep on praying. He says, and if you pray, you won't lose heart. If you pray, it will keep your heart where it needs to be. I want you to think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was in this garden and He knew that His hour was at hand. And the Bible said that He was so concerned about the trial that He was fixing to face that His sweat turned like drops of blood. He was on His hands and His knees and He pleaded with the Father. He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Don't think Jesus wasn't human. Yes, He was. He was 100% God, but He was 100% human. He knew He was fixing to be separated from the Father for a time while He paid for our sins, and it grieved Him so. He knew that He was fixing to be beat more than any man would ever be beaten. He knew that He would sit on the cross and be able to see all of His bones. He knew that He was going to be took and crucified in a manner that we can't even imagine what he went through. And he sat in that garden, and in his time of trial, he said, Oh, Lord, if it is possible, please let this cup pass from me. I'm not telling you this morning that Jesus wanted to quit, but I am telling you this morning that he, he asked the Lord if there's any other way. If it's not, Lord, I'll do it. But, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And in his time of trial, he prayed with everything that was in him. And the prayer that he said was, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he got up from his prayer. And in that weakness of sweats, of drops of blood, he gets up from a prayer, from a single prayer that simply said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up and he walks into their hands. He says, Peter, don't fight. He don't, never utters a word as he walks to the trial that he so greatly dreaded. And he walks with his head held high. And he goes all the way to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And I truly believe the reason he was able to endure it was because he prayed. I think about the prayers that Paul prayed for the church. I want you to think about, look at... Um, Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 21. Listen to the prayer that Paul prayed for his believers. And if Paul prayed this prayer for his believers, don't you also know that these were the same prayers that he would have prayed for himself? Here's what he prays. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, says, 
Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. And here's his prayer right here. He said, here's what I want for you. He says that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. You remember last week I told you one thing you must know. You must know that you were blind, but now you see. He says, I pray that they will know and know and know what the hope is that's in His calling. He says here that they would know the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance and the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places? He says, listen, here's the prayer I want for you. Since I've heard of your faith, I don't cease to pray for you. I don't cease to ask God that He give you a spirit of wisdom, of the knowledge of Him, because I know that the more knowledge you have of Him, the more you will endure to follow Him. But He also knew that this didn't come from just you hoping that you got knowledge. You didn't just sit back and say, well, if the Lord wants me to have it, He'll give it to me. And you kick your recliner up and you wait on the Lord. Lord, I'm waiting on you. No. He said, listen, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. He said, pray, pray, pray. He said, men ought always to pray. And if they pray, they won't lose heart. We don't even understand just how important prayer is. I truly believe that the spirit of the inner man of Jesus would not have been strengthened the way that it was had he not prayed. But any time he got in a place to where he was just pressed with all that was going on, he found a place to himself. And what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. And he prayed in such a way that when his disciples heard him pray, they said, Wow! Lord, teach us how to pray. Oh, we've heard people pray. We pray three times a day, sometimes more than that. We've, we've heard people pray, but Lord, something's different about that prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray like that. He said, men ought always to pray. And if they'll always pray, then they won't lose heart. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. Look at the prayer that Paul prayed again for them. Actually, let's start back in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore I ask that you what? Do not lose heart. Paul said, I'm praying and I'm asking that you don't lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And what is he, what's the first three words of, of verse 14? For this reason, because I do not want you to lose heart, for this reason, what do I do? I bow my knees. I get on my face. And I go to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, and here's what I ask for, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory 
to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. He said, I'm praying that you will be strengthened with might. I know you can't do what God asks you to do naturally. I know you can't just keep pressing forward in your own self. What did the song say? He said that, um, I can't even remember, I just sung the song. Something about, um, I trust um, by the name of God. I can't even remember the song. Ain't that something? Through the fire again. I've sung it a hundred times. By the mighty hand of God, he'll shield the flames again. He knows that in himself, he's nothing. But through the mighty hand of God, he will shield the flames. It's not in your strength. You cannot get through this thing on your own. You can't do what he requires of you unless he gives you the ability to do it. You can't forgive unless you pray that he give you the strength to forgive. You know, I'm trying to think of the scripture that the, um, the disciples asked. He told his disciples, he said, listen, if your brother sins against you and um, he comes back to you seven times in one day, what do you do? You forgive him. He said, and if he sins against you 70 times in one day, what do you do? You forgive him. And after Jesus told them this, their very next statement, you know what they said to him? Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> now that makes me laugh because I know what they felt like. When Jesus told them what God expected of them, they looked back at Jesus and they said, Oh, Lord, if you don't increase our faith, it ain't possible. And Jesus looked at them and began to explain to them, If you even have the faith of just a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Get up and go get in that sea. And you know what that mountain will do? He'll sprout legs and he'll walk his little mountain butt over to that sea because you told him to. That's what he'll do. So I say to you this morning that if we're going to make it to the end, one of the things that we've got to get serious about, we've got to pray for each other. And I'm not just talking about at this altar. I've come and knelt down with a lot of you at this altar that I've never lifted your name up to the Lord outside of this place. Can I be honest with you this morning? I mean, y'all can kick me out of here after I'm done, but I'm going to tell you the truth right now. I mean, we've got to get serious about getting on our knees and our face. And just like Paul said, I bow my knees because I don't want you to lose heart. I bow my knees because I know the days are coming when you're going to desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Oh, but you still can't quit. I bow my knees to the Father because I want to know that you will not be like Lot's wife, that you will not love this world to the end. The Bible tells us that in the end, the great accuser is going to be cast down. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that the great accuser lifts up accusations against all the children of God day and night. Day and night, old Satan's standing in front of God saying, God, you know what old Ronnie Lee's doing, don't you? God, you, you know what Troy's up to, don't you? God, what about your servant, Mac Thomas? You know what he's up to? God, what about, you, what about your servant, Aaron Watkins? You know what she's been doing lately? And God says, yeah, I know. What about it? Well, I think the only reason they really follow you is because, you know, you've been, you've been pretty good to them. What if you were to let me put my finger on them? What would they do then? God says, oh, I think, um, I think they'd be faithful. I tell you what, do. Go ahead and put your finger on them. 
I'll show you just how faithful they are to me. Go ahead, you accuser. Accuse them of everything you want to accuse them of, of not being faithful to me. Put your finger on them. Go ahead. You can't take their life, but put your finger on them. Take their children. Go ahead. They won't leave me. Take their house away. They will not leave me. You take everything that you want to take from them, but you do not touch their life. You even strike them with sickness, but they will not leave me because they've made a choice that they will follow me to the end. And he says the great accuser will be cast down. But it only comes that you make it to the end through prayer. I ain't even got time to explain the parable this morning. I just now noticed that. Apparently God didn't need me to explain the parable to you. But I want to say this to you. We pray because the Bible says pray. Jesus said that if you don't want to lose heart, you must pray. I'm going to stop right there this morning. I'm going to ask you to evaluate your life. How much time do you spend in prayer? Now, if you if you somebody's looking at me right now saying, you don't know how much trouble it is for me to pray, you want to bet? You want to bet? If you have trouble praying, I'm going to tell you right now, you are normally fallen and normally sinful just like me. If you have trouble staying alert in prayer, you are normally following, you are normally sinful just like me. But you know what I say to you? Fight for it. Fight for it. You get down on your knees and you fight for it. You say, I don't know what to pray. The Spirit prays for us in groanings and utterings that we can't even fathom. I, I, I don't know what he's saying. Well, that's okay. Get your Bible out and look at some of the prayers that Paul prayed for his people and you pray those same prayers for your people. You don't know what to pray? Get your Bible out and pray the same things Jesus prayed. Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. And Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive all those who trespass against us. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because God, yours is the power. God, yours is the kingdom. God, yours is the glory forever. And without you, we can do none of this stuff. Amen. Evaluate your life right now and you see where you stand in your prayer life. And I want to ask you to make a commitment to me and to each of your brothers and sisters here this morning that we're going to pray for each other. Remember the scriptures that I told you from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 and Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. Remember those. And go through Colossians and look at the prayer that Paul, that Paul prayed for his people in Colossia. Look at the prayer that he prayed for the Thessalonians. Look for the prayer that he prayed for the Philippians. And you will see the pattern. You'll see the common denominator of the things that you need to pray for your brothers and sisters so that next year when we're sitting here, you don't look and say, Where'd Nick King go? He was here last year. I guess he didn't make it. Boy, where's Ricky Lee at? He was so strong for so long. I remember the days that I used to kneel down at this altar with Ricky Lee. Boy, we prayed together. We ministered together. How many times you heard that from me, Dustin? I remember the days that me and old so-and-so knelt down at this altar and we prayed together. I remember the days we served together. And I can, I'm not going to name names for embarrassment, but all Ricky we remember, don't we? It's been a bunch. And I'm going to tell you, I ain't done my part to pray for them like I should have. 
You know, it might have been possible that they might not have lost heart if I had prayed a little bit more than what I prayed. Evaluate yourself this morning and see where you stand in your prayer life. And I want to ask you to do your best to make a commitment to each other that we're going to pray each other through this thing. We're going to be strengthened by his might and we will make it to the finish line. If you'd stand. The altar's open for whatever you need.